and then you know that that brings up another point when you when you talk about scheduling online one of the pitfalls that a lot of practices will have especially practices that are serving a, a pretty diverse amount of patients is how do you control that schedule you do you have to have a schedule online that is completely wide open for patients do you have to have a schedule that uh, you know, a patient thinks they're coming in for this, or it has to be this type of appointment. What, what have been the useful mechanisms that you've helped guide people in terms of controlling that schedule so that it's not just, look, I, I, this patient might need more than what they think they need. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, we don't have the resources or the technicians or the time that we, we wanted to devote to it. Well, you know, best case scenario is um, maybe if it's like a new patient visit, and maybe those are what are open on the schedule. Um, Cause you know, if you're seeing your patient and you're, you're probably getting them scheduled before they leave, I would hope anyway. And so then you won't really have to run into that issue. Um, but if, if you have a new patient slot and you have those slots open on your schedule and maybe it's every Tuesday and Thursday at, you know, nine and three, you know, something along those lines and then giving the patients that ability to see that schedule online and then um, self-schedule into it is the ideal scenario. You're right also that we really run into a lot of issues where practices are like, well, my schedule doesn't, number one, doesn't integrate um, with our practice management <laughs> software. Number two. I always think that, I always think, sorry to interrupt, but I always no. think that like, that's just a, that's just a easy answer to not have to figure out a solution. Like, you know, my approach to everything is, is, somebody else has probably done it. And I mean, and maybe, maybe I can figure out how to do it from them. There's probably a YouTube video on how to do it. I always think that that answer is a little bit, um, and I'm, I use it, I've used it before. Um, but I think it's kind of a lazy. Answer. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I, I appreciate that because most, yeah, that's usually, well, buck stops here. We can't right. integrate. So yeah, sorry. No, it's not integratable. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, okay. Number two, what's the next one? So, um, it, it doesn't integrate number two. Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Nick Sedaris on uh, marketing our practices, specifically social media marketing. And it was a really fun conversation for me. I got to learn a lot. I always learn a lot when I, when I think about marketing. Um, and so this is the 99th episode of the podcast. Uh, and so I want you to enjoy it, but uh, we're going to take next week off, which is going to be Labor Day. And then we're going to come back with the hundredth episode. And I think it's going to be a really fun conversation, a really interesting conversation for most of you on that hundredth episode. And I won't uh, spill the beans too much, but, um, but I'm excited to have that conversation as well. So as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review, share it with your friends and support those who support us. We've been providing myopia control treatments in our practice for years. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, CooperVision has received FDA approval of its innovative MySight One Day contact lens. This will be the cornerstone of a comprehensive myopia management approach to be offered by CooperVision. This daily wear, single-use contact lens is the first and only FDA-approved product clinically proven to slow the progression of myopia when initially prescribed for children 8 to 12 years old and when compared to children in the control group wearing a single-vision one-day contact lens. Check out the show notes for all the specific prescribing details and to get more information about this lens and how you can begin to offer it in your practice. Yeah, primarily actually worked on the LASIK side of the house. Um, so, you know, really on the surgical, so really surgical and contact lens were really separated. 
and um, then even in surgical, uh, LASIK and cataract was, was separated. So I primarily spent the most of my time on the LASIK side. But um, in that, obviously worked with a lot of optometrists, um, you know, with a lot of my MDs and how they're building relationships with. So I got to know a lot of optometrists and understand their practices. And so um, now just kind of helping both ODs and MDs. Yeah. When you, when you, um, when you saw how people were marketing their practices from a LASIK standpoint, um, what was really successful and how can that be transitioned into kind of a primary care, uh, primary eye care practice? Well, really the most successful thing that we've seen is um, like a vision quiz. Um, it's interesting. So uh, people love taking quizzes online. Um, and I, that's how sites like BuzzFeed just, you know, lit up like wildfire because, you know, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of acorn are you? Or, you know, what 80s TV star are you? Take this quiz. So people are already accustomed to taking quizzes online. So what we did is we created a vision quiz and, um, you know, so click here to see, you know, what your vision is. And again, we were kind of primarily directing it to if LASIK is right for you, because as you know, not everyone is a, is a good candidate for LASIK. So there's some screening questions in there, but of course you have to be really careful about PHI. But um, using a vision quiz and then depending on the results of the quiz, then we're able to say, hey, this may be the best procedure for you. So I think it could be tailored to different, um, you know, different answers based on, you know, what, you know, what kind of, um, you know, activities does the patient do, you know, and maybe they're looking at different contact lenses or, or glasses would work as well. What's the secret to the time duration for those quizzes? Like sometimes I'll look at those and I'm, I used to, I used to get into them and then it's like, oh my gosh, I, I'm on question six or seven or 20 and like, <laughs> I'm not going to keep doing this. So, right. or, or I'll click on something like BuzzFeed is a classic example. And, and you want to see the top 20, whatever. Right. And they get you with one picture and then, um, and then you're kind of like, okay, well, I've, I don't need to just read one paragraph and then click next and then one paragraph and then click next. So it sort of becomes this, I mean, what's commonly termed clickbait. So how do you avoid that? How do you avoid the perception of that uh, when you're de designing those quizzes? That's a great question because we've, we've, we've definitely bumped into that. So we have the analytics to see when people drop off. And so right now we're at six questions um, and the last two are optional. Um, so one thing I would say is, is not, you know, what we did years past is we'd have a quiz on the site and it's basically a contact form. And so you'd see all the questions and then you'd see right below, okay, I got to enter my name, phone number, email to get my results. It's like, ah, I'm not doing it. So instead, what we do is just have a one screen, and then each question is on the screen, and then they answer that question, they hit next, it goes to the next screen. And we even per, can put like a one out of six or a percentage calculator so people can see how far they are. And then we do at the end, listen, you know, we're marketers, um, say, hey, give us your information and to, we'll provide your results. We put, we put a couple things in there like, don't worry, we'll never spam you. Um, we even now ask for phone number and say, hey, we'll never call you, um, but this is just for texting purposes if you so choose, and of course, HIPAA compliant. So um, that's really helped out a ton um, doing those, those two things. And then, so then what's your uptake on when you, when you do those two things and, and do it in a polite manner is what I'll say, mm -hmm. what's the uptake on the number of people that will actually complete it and fill it out to get the results? Well, um, it really depends upon 
the the practice and if they have a lot of traffic but i can at least give you kind of percentages sure, yeah. wise um you know we typically will get a um a, you know a 60 to 70 percent of the people that start the quiz finish the quiz so we're really happy with that number and now granted you'll get you'll get some email addresses that are like no at no.com you know, it's just kind of part of the part of the play. But, you know, we noticed that, hey, if we ask for that information, number one, we're going to get leads that we can now follow up with. And two, you know, it's it's really quality over quantity, you know, so if we if we don't collect any information or if we maybe exclude the phone number, then, yeah, we're going to get a lot more leads, but they're just not. Gonna... Yeah. How how then? So, uh, you know, my perception of a LASIK practice is that they're really, you know, this may not always be true, but there are some LASIK practices for sure that basically are a one and done deal, right? Like they, mm -hmm. they just want to do LASIK and they don't want to do anything else. And their, their conclusion to everything is LASIK. I mean, I've had patients that have, have been 65 years old and, and have had mild cataracts and have gotten to, gone to get LASIK. And you're like, what LASIK surgeon would do this? You, the guy's got cataracts and, and he's within two or three years, he's having cataract surgery, right? And so, so though there are those places that are out there where it, that is kind of the model. They're just trying to get, as you said, they're trying to get traffic. They're trying to get good leads and the result of whatever, whatever comes down into their, into their system is LASIK. But if we expand that out into a, a broader sense, and, and that may not be who you've been working with, because as you said, a lot of those guys that do a lot of LASIK also do a lot of cataract surgery and they may have a glaucoma specialist, et cetera, et cetera. But those places do exist. And so how would we funnel that down into a primary care practice where um, it's not just, you know, LASIK might be, I might send a patient for LASIK. I might send the next, I might put a scleral lens on the next patient. I might, I might have a glasses prescription for the next patient. It, it really comes down to tailor what that is best for that patient. And so, um, so then I think what happens is since we don't have as primary care providers, we don't have that one kind of result or that one thing or the carrot that we might dangle to everybody. We, we want to just take care of patients' eyes and, and systemically. So how do we tailor what you're doing there or, or kind of the concept of that and make it more broad to a, a practice like mine? That's a, that's a really good point. And you're right. I typically will work with practices that um, are doing both cataract and LASIK. So they are way more comprehensive than, you know, kind of a, LASIK only place. Um, but I think with if we if we talk about the over encompassing, um, you know, vision quiz instead of hey, is LASIK right for you? Um, you know, a lot of what we do in, in that same quiz is based on the age of the patient. So that's the first question. And then they'll answer everything through the quiz. And then based on what they what age they selected, then that's going to give them a different thank you page. So, um, you know, primary LASIK age or under 18, hey, sorry, we can't help you. Primary LASIK age, like 19 to 44, talking about LASIK at the end, end result. Um, then if we, we bump up um, 45 to 60, then we're talking about, um, you know, we're still talking about LASIK, but we're talking about refractive lens exchange. And then anything over 60, we're talking about refractive cataract surgery. So I think what you could do is really look at your practice and say, okay, what are kind of the what are the main screening opportunities? You know, what are my offerings? And then based on their answers, then on the thank you page, hey, let's discuss what it is that we can help you with. Um, then patient testimonials on it, a self-scheduler from there. That's really huge with this market now is, you know, people want their open table. 
has kind of created this um, this behavior that hey, we need to to be able to schedule everything online. So having that ability works out well as well. Yeah, and then you know that that brings up another point when you when you talk about scheduling online. One of the pitfalls that a lot of practices will have, especially practices that are serving a, a pretty diverse amount of patients, is how do you control that schedule? You do you have to have a schedule online that is completely wide open for patients? Do you have to have a schedule that, uh, you know, a patient thinks they're coming in for this, or it has to be this type of appointment? What, what have been the useful mechanisms that you've helped guide people in terms of controlling that schedule so that it's not just, look, I, I, this patient might need more than what they think they need. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, they're, we don't have the resources or the technicians or the time that we, we wanted to devote to it. Well, you know, best case scenario is um, maybe if it's like a new patient visit and maybe those are what are open on the schedule. Um, Because, you know, if you're seeing your patient and you're you're probably getting them scheduled before they leave, I would hope anyway. And so then you won't really have to run into that issue. Um, But if, if you have a new patient slot and you have those slots open on your schedule and maybe it's every Tuesday and Thursday at, you know, nine and three, you know, something along those lines and then giving the patients that ability to see that schedule online and then um, self-schedule into it is the ideal scenario. You're right also that we really run into a lot of issues where practices are like, well, my schedule doesn't, number one, doesn't integrate um, with our practice management (laughs) software. Number two. I always think that, I always think, sorry to interrupt, but I always think that like, that's just a, that's just a easy answer to not have to figure out a solution. Like, you know, my approach to everything is, is, somebody else has probably done it. And I mean, and maybe, maybe I can figure out how to do it from them. There's probably a YouTube video on how to do it. I always think that that answer is a little bit, um, and I'm, I use it, I've used it before. Um, but I think it's kind of a lazy. Mm. Well, I, I appreciate that because most, (laughs) yeah, that's usually, well, buck stops here. We can't integrate. So sorry. It's not integratable. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, okay. Number two, what's the next one? So, um, it, it doesn't integrate. Number two, um, Sorry, I got you off your train of thought. <laughs> right. That's that's my fault. I should have okay. waited. <laughs> that's okay. I'll be a better interviewer next time. No, it's all good. Um, you know, it's really, if, if they don't integrate and then um, to your point, then are we holding spots for people and then they no show, you know, because yeah. hey, well, web traffic is easy come, easy go, you know, so then we have to put mechanisms in place with text reminders to make sure they actually show up. It's really interesting it, it seems like the dentistry um, folks really figured this out a long time ago before mm. anybody else. And so, um, you know, I kind of looked to them on what, what are they doing for stuff like self-scheduling or, or getting reviews and, um, you know, a lot of really robust marketing things um, were developed years ago in the dental space. Um, for whatever reason, I care. We've just been slower to do that. And I think a lot of those integration hurdles have, have really stopped us. Um, I mean, but there's other things like there's specific software that, that you can get to actually integrate yourself. So, um, HIPAA compliant too. So hip, um, acuity scheduler is one that is HIPAA compliant. Um, you know, there's, there's also ways to kind of patchwork things together. However, you just have to be really careful and make sure everything is HIPAA compliant. Um, you know, using Google, um, like Google Drive, Google Google Docs, and Google Sheets, but it's not really HIPAA compliant. Mm. Um, connecting things via um, this the software called Zapier, again, but it's not HIPAA compliant. So 
you just have to be really careful. But the, the, the exciting thing is a lot of practice management softwares and EHRs are now sort of opening the Komodo and allowing for that integration of different softwares. So if your PMS does not actively have a scheduler, look at Acuity and see if, if it will play well with yours and then um, and push it forward. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you brought up Zapier. I want to just pick your brain about that because I've, I've come across it. I've kind of played with it, but in your space, uh, do you use it at, at all at this point? Um, we do not um, because it isn't HIPAA compliant. Okay. Um, so we need to basically Zapier, if, if you're not familiar, um, it's think of it like a bridge between softwares. So it can push and pull data into different softwares that it integrates with. So essentially anything with an open integration, which is called an API, um, Zapier will play with. And so um, it, it pushes and pulls data. But again, when it does that, it's not in, in a HIPAA compliant um, space. So we can't use it for that. I mean, we actually do use it from the marketing perspective. Yeah. And that's, and that's own. what I wanted to pick mm -hmm. your brain about is that, is that, yeah, it may, not, it may not pull and push information in a HIPAA compliant way, but where do you see, if I'm trying to be a more efficient marketer in my practice, uh, where does Zapier come into play that makes my life easier? Mm -hmm. Well, as long as it's not moving any data across, um, you know, any patient data across the web, then, um, then it's very usable. So for our company, we use it because we're not, we use it in our marketing to push and pull data um, because we're, we're not dealing with, you know, HIPAA compliant patient information. We're dealing with like uh, leads of like doctors. Yep. Um, so I think for a practice, the way, I mean, if you have some email campaigns that are going out and maybe you need some triggers to, hey, if someone clicks this, send them to this page. Um, and so it's just sending the traffic to a different link. Yeah and not collecting information or sending information, then you'd be good to go to you. Yeah. So it basically be a way for us to automate some of the things that we might do once we collect, once a patient might send information to us uh, and, and we might want to kind of automate a, a response in, you know, in another way based on a, a specific customer or, or drive them to a traffic to one of our pages, whether it's Facebook or our website or, Exactly. And so maybe in that same quiz scenario, you know, they, they fill out the quiz and based on their results, we use a Zapier um, command to send them to a different page, different thank you page based on the results. Um, but as long as we're not collecting any data and sending that over, then we're good to go. Yeah. So we're a little deep. So um, I want to, I want to take a little higher, higher level approach. First of all, um, what are you doing now? Like, so you, you had this, this whole space that you've, that you've worked with a lot of LASIK and cataract surgeons and optometrists uh, working in with those surgeons as well. Tell me, tell me about your, your journey away from that, that company and, and, you know, kind of your approach. What are you working on now? What's your, what's your business model and, and how does that work? Sure. So uh, 10, almost 10 years ago, I started a digital marketing agency and um, I wanted to just, pick a niche and go really deep in it. So I picked eye care. And um, then about two to three years in, I was really just starting to get a little traction. Um, I was asked to come on with that company. And um, uh, so I, I really didn't want to do it at first, but I thought, hey, I was just a guy and basically starting a, an agency in my basement in my pajamas. And I was like, hey, I could really use the experience here. Um, so I did that and I did that for six years. Um, I covered. 
17 states and flew over a million miles. I actually looked up my Delta just to kind of, mm. I was curious more. So it was like 1,088,791. It was crazy. Jeez. So I was on a plane every week. And um, then what I was doing is working in depth with all of those practices, um, both on the MD and OD side. And I was essentially a marketing consultant for them. And I would give them ideas and um, then I would help with implementation, but I couldn't actually run any of the marketing for them. So, um, you know, as of actually a week ago, um, I have transitioned back to the agency that I started. Um, so essentially, we just let it hibernate for six years and um, just had a really small group of clients that we served. And um, then I stepped out of it and um, now back in. and. Um, and just helping a lot of folks with their digital marketing, which is exciting. Why? So what about it? So this is a good company. I mean, so there's, it's a good company that has a lot of, of reputation and probably has a lot of room for growth. What about you made you want to step back into and, and run your own business and, and, you know, grow that? What were you lacking? Yeah. Um, you know, it was such a good, I mean, you're right. It's like, it was an unbelievable company. I mean, I had, so I have three kids and I had two of them while I was with um, this company and I got like eight weeks of paternity leave. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, so uh, they it's just not going to happen anymore. Unless no. You give it to yourself. <laughs> no, I'm going to get like a day and my wife <laughs> is going to kill me if we have another. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it was just something that I, I saw an opportunity in the market that I thought, hey, you know, I'm, I'm already being asked to come in and help with a lot of the, these practices. Um, I feel like, you know, I, I've, I've been pretty forward thinking on a lot of different things. So when Facebook Live came out in 2016, um, it was brand new. Nobody I had seen had done any kind of surgical procedure on Facebook Live. Mm. And so I went to my top practice in Chicago and I said, hey, I think we should do um, a live surgery on Facebook. And mm. I think it's, I think it's going to make a big splash. And so the following week we did that and we had 7,700 views organically. Wow. And so and that was, um, so was that while it was live or while it was after, after it was done? It, it was after, but I think we peaked at like 60 plus live um, yeah. people jumping in and out, you know? Um, and so we were just learning at that time. We really didn't know anything about Facebook live. And so, and, and the reason I figured that out is just keeping an eye on what is Facebook marketing. So when they're running commercials and they're running billboards, pay attention to that because anything that they're pushing, if you jump in and start doing that thing, um, they're going to give you preference in the algorithms so that whatever it is that you're doing is just going to get way more exposure. So mm. at that time, Facebook was really marketing Facebook Live. Um, recently, they were really pushing groups. Um, this is kind of pre, uh, pre-quarantine. Um, so they were really pushing Facebook groups. And so I saw that. And so I had some of my practices. I said, hey, how can we utilize groups for, for marketing? And so we wanted to create a um, patient alumni group. Um, so it's like, hey, the Smith Clinic patient alumni Facebook group. And then what would happen is then we would invite patients that we know are super, super thrilled with our service. And then um, in that conversation that we'd have, and maybe they're on the fence about a procedure, it's like, hey, I totally get it. Um, if you want to ask a patient that has been in your shoes about their experience, um, join this Facebook group 
um, you know, they, they, they can moderate all of it. Mm. And then you can ask any question you want. And then a previous patient will answer that for you. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so, okay, that, that brings us to the next stance of, of, all right, I'm an independent practice. I love, I, I come to a conference, I listen to Nick speak, uh, and, and I'm, pat, I'm, I'm pumped up about coming back and, and starting some of these things. But then I get into the grind of, look, I've, I've got a whole book of patients. All my staff is, is uh, you know, we're, our team is really working hard to take care of those patients. That seems to me to be a hiccup and one that you have a, a grasp on. Uh, how to o- overcome that. So what sort of steps do you take to kind of overcome that, that uh, maybe analysis paralysis or lack of time to be able to do something? Yeah. And honestly, to your, to your earlier question, that was kind of the point that I went on my own because I, I, I ran into that so many times. Um, one of the biggest questions I've heard, so I, I gave a social media keynote a, a year ago and um, I wanted to do some research to make sure it really resonated. And so I'd ask the question to practices, what's your biggest frustration with social media? And they'd say, I know I need to post, but I just, I don't have the time and I don't really know what to post. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, if, if I could take the guesswork out of that and just give you content in a calendar and then you just drip it onto, I mean, you don't even have to drip it. You could just sit there one day and schedule right. it out on Facebook and show you how to do that. Then it's done. You don't have to think about it till the next month. Um, so the same thing with Facebook Live. So once I did that first Facebook Live, um, we kind of did a couple more with different practices, figured out what the cadence is and how that would work. And, you know, I, I, I came up with the script to kind of make it like a, almost like a football game um, where, you know, uh, the host of the Facebook Live is kind of like the sideline commentator. Hmm. And they're talking about what's going on in the procedure and then afterwards, they, they kind of interview the coach, you know, like on, on a, a game. It's like, hey, coach, how did that go? You know, so we'd say, hey, you know, Dr. Smith, like, um, how did that go? Can you tell us about it? And then, you know, the doctor gives some platitudes. It's just like the laser coach. did everything. All I yeah. did was push the pedal and oversee it. <laughs> it was it's, wonderful. <laughs> it's so, you know, it's like, uh, you know, anytime you want to watch, you know, hey, listen, you're at Omaha I'm in Iowa. So when the Hawks play the Cornhuskers and they're going to interview Coach Ferentz at the end, it's like, oh, yeah, our, our boys played hard. And, hmm. you know, they, um, the, the other team played great defense, but we were able to overcome it. So something along those lines. Um, but we created that script and then gave that script to our customers to speak to exactly what you're saying is like, because implementation is everything. We yeah. could sit on this um, podcast for hours all day and give you everything that I know. But if, if we just don't figure out one, the steps and two, the time, um, implementation is everything. Yeah. Well, I like the idea of creating a, a calendar and then, uh, and then kind of doing it in one session or one sitting. We have people that do our social media. It was like our, our team, there's one person that in particular and she's charged with kind of creating, creating or coming up with the content that we're going to be posting. And, you know, it's not always her. It might be, okay, we're going to have a video of me talking about this. Or sometimes I'll walk into the office and I've just had a cup of coffee. So I'm like, all right, let's do a video on this. You know, I'm ready to go. And, um, and so, uh, but, but then it comes down to this idea of like different languages for different platforms. So I've, I've heard um, Gary Vaynerchuk talk about this and, you know, um, and 
I don't feel like I know the languages of, of most platforms. I feel like I've really grasped the language of LinkedIn. Um, and that's mostly in my interpretation of that is that I don't know how much that really impacts my practice. It more impacts the ability to have conversations like this because people will, will say, Hey, I saw what you did here. You know, um, I'd love to, I'd love to talk to you about this or, uh, then I get connections. Oh, I saw what you did here. I'd love you for you to come on the podcast and talk about this. So, uh, so I feel like I understand LinkedIn at least somewhat. Uh, Facebook, I I understand. I think a little less than LinkedIn, which is kind of sh- shocking to me. I I actually had a, um, a really good friend who ma- who got married probably eight or nine years ago to uh, a woman who worked at LinkedIn, and I remember meeting her and specifically telling her the last thing I need is another social network. And, and, and that's the one I actually, I actually use the most. Um, but, uh, so I kind of get Facebook, but like the others, I, like, I don't tweet, I probably should, but I don't, I don't tweet cause I, I don't feel like I have a time. Um, so I guess kind of tell me your approach to different languages and why it matters with how you're presenting on different platforms. Oh man, that's such a great point that you brought up because it really does matter. And it is almost an entire different language for each platform. Um, the way I like to, to think of it is obviously you have to just determine what your end goal is, you know, um, who am I trying to reach? And then, then we need to, to determine how are you going to reach them? So if we're talking about like the general patient population, you're right. LinkedIn is not the best spot for that. Um, but professional networking, it is by far head and shoulders, the best place to be. And um, I can attest to that. I'm super active on LinkedIn as well. And I really enjoy it. And I think it's, um, it's just a really great space. Mm-hmm. Um, secondarily, if again, with more professional networking, Twitter actually is a really good place to be. Hmm. Um, I, I, I was shocked with that. So I've seen a lot of doctors do use it on a personal basis. And they're kind of, they're mainly using it to just chat with their other like doctor colleagues, you know, um, and so if that's part of your goal too, I would highly recommend it. Hmm. Um, Facebook but not for is, patients, not for patients. Not for patients. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot of practices that have from years prior when Twitter was brand new. It's like they have an official practice Twitter page. Um, that's okay. I wouldn't run and go delete it. Um, but, you know, it, it really goes back to how much bandwidth do you have? Yeah. So if you have a person in the practice that's fully dedicated to social media and you're saying, hey, I can do it all, then let's do it all and I'll tell you how. But if it's like, hey, we're pretty limited, you know, I would rather you go really deep on two things and do well at them. And then um, as, as opposed to taking everything on and doing poorly. Yeah. So what I tell practices is, hey, again, it depends on your demographic, but let's say if we're going for the, you know, 18, 19 to, you know, maybe mid forties, um, then, Hey, let's, let's, let's be on Facebook. Cause Facebook is almost like a, it's almost like a, a landline in your practice. Like you kind of have to have it. Um, so think of that as kind of home base for social media and then, um, Instagram. So I would play on those two from a practice patient facing perspective. And then I would speak directly to, um, to each one natively. And, and because, you know, there's yeah. softwares and services out there that like, oh, I posted here and it automatically went everywhere. And everyone thinks, hey, look at me. I'm, I'm a marketing whiz. But in reality, like people can see that, see through that so easily. And it's you just look like you don't care. Right. So 
I'd highly recommend. So I just made a, you know, a big post and announcement of um, this kind of career transition. And I did, I went to every single one and posted differently to each, basically the same message, but differently. Can you tell me, so can you, can you speak to how that sounds different? Like, like Nick, Nick Sedaris says, okay, I'm going to come out and I'm going to say that I've got this, this company that, that I'm launching Facebook. How does that sound? So what's interesting on Facebook is I have a lot of spillover of, Mm -hmm. of doctors that are, are, I'm personal friends with. So I said, all right, well, I'm going to kind of copy and paste here. Um, what I put on LinkedIn, but in, in the responses and, you know, I, when I've had friends that have responded, um, that say, Hey, congratulations, you know, and I'm replying, I'm replying with gifts, uh, that are like funny, you know, and, um, my sister-in-law said Mm -hmm. something and, um, I just replied with like an Oprah gift of her shrugging her shoulders, you know, and you can do that on Facebook and it's okay if your doctors see that in like a professional manner, because like, Hey, this is the realm that we're operating right. in. Right. So that's okay. So yep. I've, I've seen a lot of practices do really well with replying to patients comments on their practice page with a GIF. Hmm. And people love it. And then the patients will, then you'll get more patients that will jump into that reply and just hit the, the laugh button or the heart button because it's like, hey, I'm showing you that I have a personality. You know, we're not a stuffy doctor's office. So with Facebook, I, I feel like it, it, with my post, maybe it stands up a little proper, but on my um, stories, and so we'll kind of talk about Instagram too. Yeah. Um, I kind of let those loose. Like, this is my personality. This is my day to day on what we're doing. Um, you know, it's all about managing your own brand. And so I do kind of share like things that I think are funny <laughs> and that I see out and about and um, just showing that I have a sense of humor and posting that up there as well. Okay. So then, so then um, it might not even be, what well, might be the same thing. You might be kind of talking about the same idea of, you know, when you post a Facebook, let's say it might be if we're talking about um, meibomian gland dysfunction and meibomian gland evacuation, right? We might actually be pretty technical, or 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 you might show a video of the procedure being done, right? Um, and uh, and that might be compelling to people. But what you're saying is that for LinkedIn or for uh, Instagram, maybe I'm maybe I'm just making not making fun, but, but making light of patients where you squeeze the glands, right. And you, and you see those pictures and, and that might be the, the story like, Oh, look at how gross this is. You know, we can take care of that or something like that. Where yeah. it's more, more fun, more personality where Facebook uh, can have some fun, but it's a little bit more structured. Is that, is that, am I picking up on that correctly? Exactly. I mean, one of the, one of the best um, like dermatology accounts, is Dr. Pimple Popper. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody and knows. <laughs> I cannot go to that page. Because <laughs> you can't stop watching. No. Well, no, I will I will just vomit all over. Oh, will you? Yeah. Oh, it's There's that. other people that just won't be able to turn it off. They'll just keep going and going and going. I'm one of those people. Oh man, I can't do it at all. So um, but yeah, to your point, is they're adding that personality. You know, patients want to see that, um, that hey, this is a, a doctor that I'm working with that is a real person and not the stuffy white coat. And so you're able to, to put those on both, but um, really you would, you're going to add more flair personality on Instagram. And, you know, something that does really easy, easily and well is, you know, um, staff 
with a, with a boomerang, you know, on Instagram where you just use the boomerang feature and you're basically creating your own GIF. Mm. And if it's your staff and maybe they're holding like the glasses or, or a box and, you know, they're waving their hands um, and then it keeps going back and forth. I mean, it just looks like the, the, if the staff looks like they're having fun, then the assumption is, hey, you're going to treat your patients really well. Yeah. But it, the problem is, though, with that language, if, if you're speaking on Instagram, automatically posting it to Facebook, it's not going to resonate because you're using hashtags differently. You're tagging people differently. It just looks different. Um, you're geotagging as well. And so you just want to make those posts separate and native. Um, and I mean, we haven't even touched, scratched the surface on TikTok. Yeah. I mean, TikTok is huge right now. Can but we still do that? We can, if it depends <laughs> how much time you have. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, yeah, I have time. I, oh. I'm just saying, uh, can we still do TikTok? There's been some, some reports that we won't be able to do it or. Right. As of right now, we can. Um, I, I don't know you know, what that's going to look like. It's just a, such a wild space and wild times right now. But that's, that's actually a good point. It's, it's constantly changing. Yes. And well, so tell me about TikTok. What do you like about TikTok for practices? And I mean, you know, in my mind, it's my kids, uh, you know, dancing to the same dance that somebody else created. Right. Um, but, but how would you use that as a practice? Well, it just, again, it depends, you know, is it, who are you trying to reach? And so if it's a, you know, if it's a younger generation that you're looking for and maybe it's like pediatric stuff but yeah. th then okay yeah let's do it and the easiest thing is number one log into to tiktok and grab your your username so that's one thing i didn't realize this until the internet was a thing but my name is nick sedaris which is in my father's from athens greece and so um nick sedaris is like john smith in greece right. So there's a billion of us. And I was like, oh, you know, I grew up in small town, Iowa. I thought I was so unique, you know? <laughs> so what I have to do now is I go on all of those platforms. I've never posted to TikTok once, hmm. and, but I logged into TikTok. I grabbed the, the URL, TikTok backslash Nick Sedaris, just to have it. So then maybe later on, if it's something I want to get into. So I've actually told Praxis to do the same thing. So, cause it's, it's just easy branding when everything matches your URL, your, of your main site. And so if it's a generic one, you may want to jump in there and grab that. But then as far as content wise, again, if you have the bandwidth, if you got your staff to do the same, you know, dances that are popular and trending on TikTok, it is going to blow up. Hmm. It, you're going to be so busy. So interesting. Yeah. Cool. Well, so Nick, I, I, um, I, I'll be respectful of your time today. I, um, this was a fun conversation to have. Tell everybody where they can, they can find you and, and how they can, they can consult with you. Sure. Yeah. So um, the, the main page is um, thepatientpipeline.com. Um, the guy won't sell me patientpipeline.com, but <laughs> so we have to have the word the. It's kind of like throwback with Facebook. You know, and someday Facebook. when there's a famous Nick Sedaris, uh, you can sell him all those Twitter handles. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. When David Sedaris has a yeah. brother named Nick. Right. Um, and then, uh, so that's the best spot. That's our website, our main page, but otherwise LinkedIn, it's LinkedIn backslash in, you know, I N backslash Nick Sedaris. Thankfully I got that one. So yeah, cool. Well, um, thanks a lot for doing this. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was great.